I do make one promise to you this morning. I don't think I'll preach for over an hour this week like I did last week. As Melissa jokingly said, she said, it wasn't that bad. I got a nap. Uh, and it didn't seem like I slept that long. So, if you would turn in your Bible to the book of Acts, uh, today we're going to examine chapter 11, verses 19 through 30. Uh, we will seek the Holy Spirit in prayer first. We'll then read the passage uh, in its entirety, and then we will examine the text in greater detail and make observation and applications as we proceed through the passage. Would you pray with me? Our Father in heaven, we need grace this morning. We need grace to hear and obey the scriptures that we are examining. We ask for the grace of the Holy Spirit to cause the word to examine us. Help us understand the power of the gospel and the central point that Jesus' death and resurrection is the power of God unto salvation. Help us, Lord, understand and obey the truth that the proclamation of the gospel is our duty, our privilege, and it is our way of life. We ask that you would give us ears to hear what the Spirit would speak to our church, and by your same Spirit that you would speak to the churches that gather throughout the county, specifically for my brother Dax and his church at Baker Creek. I pray that each of our churches would live the glorious gospel in the power of the Holy Spirit, and that we would do so to your praise and to your glory. We ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. As you are able, would you stand with me for the reading of the inerrant, infallible Word of God from Acts chapter 11, beginning in verse 19. Now those who were scattered because of the persecution that arose over Stephen traveled as far as Phoenicia and Cyprus and Antioch, speaking the word to no one except Jews. But there were some of them, men of Cyprus and Cyrene, who on coming to Antioch spoke to the Hellenists also, preaching the Lord Jesus. And the hand of the Lord was with them, and a great number who believed turned to the Lord. The report of this came to the ears of the church in Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas to Antioch. When he came and he saw the grace of God, he was glad, and he exhorted them all to remain faithful to the Lord with steadfast purpose. For he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and of faith, and a great many people were added to the Lord. So Barnabas went to Tars Tarsus to look for Saul. And when he found him, he brought him to Antioch. For a whole year, they met with the church and taught a great many people. And in Antioch, the disciples were first called Christians. Now in these days, prophets came down from Jerusalem to Antioch, and one of them named Agabus stood up and foretold by the Spirit that there would be a great famine over all the world. This took place in the days of Claudius. So the disciples determined everyone, according to his ability, to send relief to the brothers living in Judea. And they did so, sending it to the elders by the hand of Barnabas and Saul. This is God's word. Speak God. Well, the Prince of Preachers, Charles Spurgeon, wrote this. It is the whole job of the whole church to preach the whole gospel to the whole world. It bears repeating. 
It is the whole job of the whole church to preach the whole gospel to the whole world. I want to propose something to you this morning to grab a hold of. Every disciple is to be a disciple maker. Everyone who has received the good news is a deliverer of good news. As we have seen throughout the scriptures, the indicative, that is who you are, precedes the imperative. That is to say, what is commanded in the scriptures is preceded by declaring what we have become and what we are becoming. As we've been studying the book of Acts, we've stated this, that the overall theme of the book could be stated as the Great Commission in Action. What we have seen thus far is we've seen the apostles, and the apostle meaning sent ones, instructed uh, in the power of the Holy Spirit to be witnesses or tellers of the truth concerning the person and work of Jesus Christ and telling the truth that God has declared Jesus both Savior and Lord in His ascension to heaven. Today we will see in our passage that the apostolic mission falls in the hands of every Christ follower. Every church member within the church of Jesus Christ is to be manifested in the activity of soul winning. Soul winning according to each person's particular giftings and life situation. See, this means that the whole church, the disciples of Jesus Christ, though not given apostolic authority, though not an eyewitness to the life, death, and resurrection of Christ, though not given the initial revelation of the Word of God that was written through them, through these apostles, though not having that, but by virtue of the saving faith of Jesus Christ, every born-again believer is responsible to repeat the gospel proclamation of Jesus Christ as Lord. Everyone is an evangelist. Everyone is to be an evangelist, operating within their sphere of influence because of who they've become. Because of who they've become, wherever they are, wherever you find yourself, because of who you've become, if indeed you have received the gospel, if you understand that Christ died for your sin, that you have repented and, and believed upon His name, you have a message. You have a message to deliver. You have a duty to deliver that message right where you're at, within your sphere of influence. It's because of who you have become. You have to declare the gospel that you yourselves have received. Let us look at verses 19 through 21. Now those who were scattered because of the persecution that arose over Stephen traveled as far as Phoenicia and Cyprus and Antioch, speaking the word to no one except Jews. But there were some of them, men of Cyprus and Cyrene, who on coming to Antioch spoke to the Hellenists, also preaching the Lord Jesus. And the hand of the Lord was with them, and a great number who believed turned to the Lord. So what we see here going on in this passage is that the gospel got dispersed. 
It got dispersed as Christians were dispersed. That is often how the gospel spreads. Christians are moved. Well, because they are possessors of the gospel in themselves, they have received that message of hope. The gospel goes forward. It goes where Christians go. So these, these Christians were, were dispersed, and the gospel is being dispersed. Wherever you found a Christian, you see, you would find the gospel witness communicated. This is normal in the scriptures. Wherever you find a Christian, you find gospel witness. That ought to be true of us as a church. Wherever you find Brian Fletcher, you ought to find gospel witness. Where you find Drew Vanderveen in the city of Beaverton, when he's at work, you find the gospel witness. He's a possessor of it. So wherever you find a Christian in the scriptures, you find that the witness is being communicated, it is being spread. Jesus communicated to the apostles before his ascension that when the Holy Spirit came upon them, that the power of that Holy Spirit would cause them to tell the truth about him wherever they would find themselves to be. Remember Acts 1, chapter 8, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. The Great Commission in, act, in, in action is more than just an activity that is to be engaged in occasionally. It's not just an occasional activity. Evangelism is not an occasional activity. It is a commanded lifestyle. Look with me at the Great Commission in Matthew 28. Beginning in verse 16. Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. The command to go in the Greek tense, should be translated, as you are journeying in this life, having as you go the purpose of making disciples. He's here telling them everyone, every day, is a disciple maker, an evangelist to whosoever God appoints to them. If you're a disciple of Jesus Christ, it isn't suggested it isn't occasional. It isn't just encouraged. It is commanded. Evangelism is a style of living. It's a style of living that is not selected by you, but a lifestyle that you have been chosen for. It's not a lifestyle that you would select. It's, it's a lifestyle that you have been chosen out of the world for. Two. While we are commanded to live in such a way as the watching world would see our good deeds and would glorify our God in heaven. It's not a lifestyle of silence. 
See, our behavior is just merely that which is consistent with our proclamation. We must proclaim Christ's work with our words and live in such a way as to confirm the glorious gospel. You mean I say, but Jeff, doesn't the Bible teach us that some have the gift of evangelism? You might say, I'm not particularly gifted. Shouldn't evangelism be left up to the uh, left uh, up to the ones who have been given this gift? Shouldn't we just leave it up to Nick? Shouldn't we just leave it up to Nick? Because after all, Nick is the one who who boldly goes out there and shares tracks. Shouldn't we just leave that up to Nick to do? No. No. The answer is emphatically no. The scriptures do indicate that some are given a supernatural gifting in the area of evangelism. But just because you're not supernaturally gifted, are you to disregard the command of God? What other commands are you going to exempt yourself from based on gifting? Would you not help others because you don't have the gift of helps? Can you disregard uh, the command because you haven't given that been given a supernatural gift of encouragement? Are you not to be an encourager? Those who were scattered because of the persecution preached Christ as they went, preaching the gospel to the Jews and some to the Greeks. They were armed with the truth that the gospel is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. They preached the whosoever gospel as the Lord appointed them declaring that righteousness is imputed to those who abandon their lives and place their trust in Christ. To them, eternal life has been granted. We should notice that they used words. They used words. They didn't just go to the towns and live a life of Christ in front of them, although they did do that. But they used words. They spoke the gospel. They spoke it to them. It says right here in verse 19, speaking the word, preaching the Lord Jesus. We must use words. They were preaching the gospel to Jews and to some Greeks, and they're armed with this truth. They didn't just go to towns and perform acts of service that may or may not compel someone to believe. As they went, they trusted this. That the gospel is what is most needed. The gospel is what is most needed. Do we have that as our mentality, as our aim of life, that the gospel is what is most needed? We look around, right, and we see all kinds of troubles. I bet you guys can name all kinds of things that are wrong with the world. Wrong behaviors, wrong attitudes, wrong sense of relationship, wrong sense of identity, wrong teachings in our schools. You can see all these wrongs that are out there. And if you go and you try to fix each one of them or or intervene in them and miss that the real problem is they need to hear the gospel. The gospel transforms communities. They need to hear the gospel. The gospel must be spoken. It is the thing that we must trust is uh, the greatest need. Because faith comes by hearing and hearing by the words concerning his Christ. Words concerning his Christ according to the authoritative word of God. But Jeff, I don't know what to say. 
Speak the Bible. Speak it. Speak what the Bible says. And then get out of the way. You speak what the Bible says and trust that God is the God who saves. It's not you. It's not me. It's not based on my ability to articulate great words. It's not based on your ability to speak some great word or to have some pattern that you follow that's so perfect and you've got it down. And if you, if you just didn't go out and do and follow your pattern, you will never get saved without you. No! Speak the word of God. It's very simple. And my favorite one to speak is this. He made him who knew no sin to be sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God in him. It's a simple, succinct truth about the gospel. I bet you, you guys can think of a verse or a set of verses that you can commit to memory that might sufficiently declare the gospel. Just like that, that might sufficiently, succinctly speak the truth of the gospel. Before we move on, I want us to see that the gospel advances from Jerusalem to Judea to Samaria to the uttermost ends of the earth and the instruments that God uses also expands. In Jerusalem, who is it that is preaching Christ? It is the apostles. Then we see that as the gospel expands and it moves forward uh, in Acts chapter 6, we see that a deacon, Stephen, full of the Spirit, preaches Christ. In Acts 8, the gospel expands to Samaria through another deacon, Philip. Then God chooses the unlikely opponent of the church, Saul, to be his instrument to expand the gospel to the whole Gentile world. And here we see the believers who are dispersed from Jerusalem engaged in preaching Christ to everyone everywhere as the lifestyle which is the mark of all who are converted. I want us to get this, and I'm going to say it probably a million times today. Everyone, everyone is an evangelist. That is, everyone who is in Christ. Everyone who has received the gospel is an, an evangelist. You know, one of the ways that you can do this, this is not in my notes, it's another thought. And I thought about this on my way in, so it's not like it's brand new, but one of the thoughts is that we can gossip the gospel. One way to do evangelism in our everyday lives is as we meet and interact and say we're having a cup of coffee with another brother or sister in the Lord and we're sitting there having a cup of coffee, we gossip the gospel to one another. We're just gossiping the gospel. We're speaking of that truth that, 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 that salvation is found in Christ. We, we say that to one another and the people around us hear us. When Jesse and I meet on Thursday mornings talking about the Word of God together in a, in a public place, in a coffee shop, we are gossiping the gospel to those who are around us who might hear and overhear a conversation. Maybe one day somebody will come up to us and say, what in the world are you guys talking about? And I'm sure that we would love to spend time with them telling them, this is, this is good news. We are talking about the good news Back to our passage here. And the Lord, and the hand of the Lord was with them, and a great number who believed turned to the Lord. 
The report of this came to the ears of the church in Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas to Antioch. When he had came, he saw the grace of the Lord, and he was glad, and he exhorted them all to remain faithful to the Lord with steadfast purpose. For he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and of faith, and a great many people were added to the Lord. It says here that a great number of people who believed turned to the Lord. What isn't stated is this. Antioch was a city of about 500,000 people. You know what that also means? That a great number of people rejected the gospel. A great number of people came to the Lord, but a great number of people rejected the gospel. But what a glorious celebration it is when one repents, isn't it? So here it is. We have Barnabas coming to Antioch, and he came and saw the grace of, of God, and he was glad. And then he exhorted them, continue doing what you're doing. Could you imagine that, that at some point, some people might, might have been disappointed? Yeah, a great number of people came to the Lord, but a great number of people rejected my gospel. Luke 15.10 tells us that I tell you that there is joy before the angels of God over one sinner who repents. News of this success reaches the Jerusalem church. And there's likely a faction in the church that's skeptical of Gentile conversions. They may, they may have a faction that have uh, still holding on that conversion cannot be genuine if these folks are not also being circumcised or they're not otherwise holding on to the traditions and the laws of the temple. So they send, uh, the church in Jerusalem sends Barnabas. And his name means a son of encouragement. Barnabas. Witnessing the genuine conversion, he encourages believers to press on. See, it's natural, humanly speaking, to be motivated by success, isn't it? Success comes, it's natural to say, I want more of that success. The success of the gospel uh, is the work of God, though. Whether it, it succeeds or it fails, it is the work of God to whom it belongs. It's not the success or failure of the human instrument that he uses. For the instruments he uses, everyone, everyone who is a disciple maker, that is you and that is me, the measure of success is faithful obedience to speak Christ wherever the Lord has placed you. Notice what his encouragement is here to them. The son of, of encouragement exhorts them to remain faithful to the Lord with steadfast purpose. Keep proclaiming the truth wherever you go. Keep being a faithful witness to Jesus Christ wherever the Lord has placed you. That is the measure of success. Our trust is not in results. Our trust is in the God who saves. And the power of the gospel is our confidence. Mark Dever writes in his book, The Gospel and Personal Evangelism, he says, quote, We do not fail in our evangelism if we faithfully tell the gospel to someone who is not subsequently converted. We only fail if we do not faithfully tell the gospel at all. A couple of things to consider as motivation. He also uh, emphasizes this love for God. 
If we're looking for motivation to evangelize, maybe you and I need to only look back at the cross. We need to look at our sin nailed to Jesus to remember how far we have fallen, to remind ourselves that we were once dead in our trespasses and sins, to remind ourselves that God is rich in mercy and He is abundant in steadfast love, that, that He sent His only Son to die while I was still in that sinful state and condition. The reality of God's power in my own life is my motivation, not the success where they land, where my words land. Because that's the power of God. The reality of God's power is my motivation. The reality that, that I need to have love for those who are lost. I must pray to the Lord to give me compassion. To give me more compassion. To give me the same compassion that Christ has for the dying, sin-sick, Christ-rejecting world. Christ had compassion on those who hated him. Think about that. Christ has compassion for people who don't like him, who don't love him, who hate him. He had compassion for them. My compassion fails quickly. Do me wrong, my compassion starts to wane. I need the compassion of Christ in my life. Where do we get that compassion? We pray. Pray, God, Give me the same compassion that you have. I need to pray that I, I need to have eyes to see what Jesus saw. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Those who hear the message preached and whether they receive it or reject it, as long as they're willing to hear me, they need believers to remain engaged with them. Even after they proclaimed Christ. You see, I want us to understand this, that evangelism is a relationship. Dever writes this, evangelism is not something we do, but it is a conversation that we engage in. Evangelism is often more than one conversation, isn't it? It's building a relationship of ongoing gospel conversations, if possible. One and done is better than none. But, the normal pattern of our life should be I proclaim the gospel and then I engage with people because it might take more than one telling for them to receive it. I know it was for me. I remember being a 15-year-old freshman baseball player who thought I knew everything about everything, that I had the world all whipped, right? I knew how the world worked and it worked with me as the center of it, right? I, that's what I knew. They had a baseball coach who told me the truth about Jesus. And I remember telling him, looking him dead in the eye, and I said, nope, the cost is too high and I don't want it. I am not willing to give up everything because I know what you're saying. And I, I did, I understood. He was clear. I understood what he was saying. What he was telling me is that everything had to go. I had to abandon all that I am and all that I wanted to do. If I was to follow Christ, I needed to let it all go. There wasn't just a little bit. I couldn't just give just a little. So I said, I'm giving none. I don't want anything to do with that. Two years later, I hear the gospel again as I'm looking 
in God's word. Not by accident, but by providence. I open up the Bible and I'm looking at this and I'm like, oh my goodness, my coach was right. This is the truth. Jesus is real. So sometimes it's helpful if we stay in relationship because it might take multiple gospel conversations. To us, to those who have received the gospel, the fullness of the Great Commission informs us that we are those who become disciples who continue in discipling relationships, learning to observe, absorb, observe, I can't talk today, observe more and more of all that Jesus commanded. When you look at the end of, of the Great Commission, at the, at the last part of it, he says, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded. This means that after our evangelism, after our proclamation of the truth of the gospel, we must follow up. We must remain in relationship with people, teaching them to observe all that Jesus commanded. Another thing that happens is that we come to understand whether or not they really have been converted or not by staying in relationship with them. If we stay in relationship with them, we might uncover that, no, uh, they found something appealing about the gospel life, but they haven't received Jesus himself. So what do we do with that friend? We preach the gospel to him again and again and again as long as it takes it. And as long as that person is willing to stay in relationship with you, even though they reject the gospel out of hand, stay in relationship with them. As long as they're willing, stay with them. As we consider verses 25 and 26, Barnabas went to, went to Tarsus to look for Saul. And when he found him, he brought him to Antioch. For a whole year, they met with the church and taught a great many people. And in Antioch, the disciples were first called Christians. Notice here that Barnabas brings brother Saul, who would be the apostle to the Gentiles. And they remained there in Antioch. They remained there for a year teaching a great many people. You see, Saul and Barnabas met with the church. They met with the church to teach the church. And likely, as they were teaching the disciples, they were equipping them for further evangelism. They were equipping them for follow-up to those whom the disciples had already proclaimed the gospel to. In addition to staying there for a year, Barnabas and Saul could attest to the genuineness of the conversion of those who were there in Antioch. I find it interesting that at Antioch, the disciples were first called Christians. I think the idea here that we see is that Christians in a positive term would be little Christ. So positively, the conversions would have been seen as genuine. These folks were acting like the Christ that they both received and proclaimed. Another way of saying this is that their confession and their lives matched such that people knew that they were little Christ. They were like the one they just heard them talk about. They confirmed the reality and the truth of their words. So they called them little Christ, little Christians. Their testimony was credible by the life that they lived with one another. They were followers of Jesus who have been observed as growing in their obedience to all the commands of Christ. See, these were a people that were set apart. Of course, there is a negative connotation uh, that may be uh, from some of those who had rejected the gospel there. They would use a derogatory term, Christian, to mean these little Christians think they're someone. And they would then summarily dismiss them. This morning, I want to take just a little time and speak to the unbeliever who may be among us or who may be watching a sermon via YouTube. 
One of the things I've been reading lately is about how the gospel gets lost. And the first way that the gospel gets lost, according to this guy, Max Stiles, is that the gospel gets lost when at first it is assumed. So when we in our churches assume that everyone belongs to the gospel that is gathered with us on a Sunday morning, when we assume that, soon means that we stop talking about it, or we change it, or we only tell part of it. So then the gospel gets confused. Then, over time, the gospel gets lost and it's gone altogether. So I want to take a little bit of time this morning to speak to the unbeliever who might be among us, who maybe will peruse YouTube and by accidentally land on this sermon. I want you to know this, that when you hear the gospel preached, that is that God is holy, that he is the righteous judge who is loving and he is right to come to command obedience and righteousness from those that he has created in his image. I want you to understand the gospel that says that you were born infected with the sin of your first parents, Adam and Eve, and that your condition has caused you to distort and warp the image of God, and that you are helpless to do any work that would merit favor from God because even your best work is tainted by your sin of unbelief. On the heels of that bad news, I want to tell you good news. It's what the gospel is, good news. I want to tell you the good news, that a loving God sent the son that he loved to take upon himself the curse of your sin for which he died on a cross, even while you were rejecting him. When you hear this gospel preached, guess what? There are only two responses to the gospel preached, only two, and it's yes or no. Might say, well, what about the one who says, I'm undecided? Maybe. For them, that answer today is a no. That's a no. That's a rejection. Maybe is a no. The answer could be never. That's a no. Today is the day of salvation for you if you say yes to the gospel. But if you say no today, tomorrow, maybe way too late. If you say maybe, I warn you. If you say maybe, maybe one day I'll surrender. I want to warn you. Do not die tonight. If you say maybe, don't die today. Don't die tonight. But if you said yes today, Deuteronomy 27.9 tells us, This day you have become the people of the Lord your God. If you say yes today, or you said yes 50 years ago, you've been saved individually, but you have also been saved to be incorporated to a people who have said yes to the gospel. To you has been given this a message of reconciliation. You've been given a message of reconciliation, and you've been given the words of reconciliation. You are an evangelist, every one of you who has said yes to the gospel. Because you belong to the God of his people, you belong to a people who belong to God. The people of, of God are known by the love that they have for one another. 
As Jesus said, you will know you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Listen to verses 27 through 30. Now in these days, prophets came down from Jerusalem to Antioch, and one of them named Agabus stood up and foretold by the Spirit that there would be a great famine all over the world. This took place in the days of Claudius. So the disciples determined, every one according to his ability, to send relief to the brothers living in Judea. And they did so, sending it to the elders by the hand of Barnabas and Saul. One of the things I want us to notice here, news of conversions had traveled to Jerusalem from Antioch. Did you catch that? That news of salvation, news of people repenting and believing in Christ had reached the church in Jerusalem. <coughs> the church in Jerusalem is, is connected through Christ to every believer everywhere. And particularly when we look at this passage, the, the Christians who were in Jerusalem were connected to the Christians in Antioch. The new believers in Antioch receive word then that, that great famine is coming. Now I want us to get this, that famine was common in pockets in those days and in diverse uh, places. In our passage here, it says, in the whole world. It's a little bit hyperbole. Uh, if you search history, you'll find no such worldwide famine at that time. But what you'll see is that there were pockets of, of famine all around the world, different communities, crop failures. Different communities also would, would if, if there was a... Um, you know, when they get to the, the year of Jubilee, the year that the land takes rest, right? Hard times would befall those communities, right? But here's the idea that I want us to get is that there's some places where famine was felt. And one of those places was in Jerusalem. And I, I want us to see that, that, that Jerusalem had concern over the converted people in Antioch and Antioch reciprocated that care in concern for the church because they have been a they've been incorporated into a new family. They are part of the family that gathers in Jerusalem as well. They're moved through their connection in Christ to serve not only the church and the brothers at Antioch, but also their brothers in Jerusalem. And everyone is an evangelist in the family of God. Evangelism is the ordinary lifestyle of the converted to Christ. Everyone is an evangelist every day. I want us to pray as Paul asked the church at Colossae to pray for him. In Colossians 4, 3 through 4, he asked the church to pray for him. I want to pray for us in that same vein as Paul prayed. Father, we pray that you may open a door for each of us to declare your word concerning Christ and his gospel. We pray that you would give us ordinary language to speak the mystery of Jesus' death and resurrection. We pray that you would help us to communicate your gospel clearly and compellingly. Help us, Lord, to take victory in the proclamation and to trust the conversions and leave them up to you. I ask this in Jesus' name and the power of the Holy Spirit to the praise of your glorious grace. As we take a moment of silence to reflect upon God's word and to prepare our hearts to go to the table together, I want us to think about Psalm 62 
For God alone, my soul waits in silence. From him comes my salvation. He is my rock and my salvation, my fortress. I shall not be greatly shaken.